I give him to the Lord. This past semester, I was talking to a senior girl, and she's looking at graduation coming up, and she was feeling this tension. The tension is not because I don't know what I want to do after college. The tension is what I want is different than what my parents want. That her parents had been set on the idea for many years that after college, she would go on to graduate school. And her feeling is, well, I don't know that I want to do that anymore. So when she went home for Thanksgiving, they had a talk. And she sat down and said, here's what I want. You know, what do you want? Here's what I want. And, and it was really, it's a beautiful situation because her parents were able to actually to listen and to recognize that what they wanted for their daughter was different maybe than what God wants, different from what she wants. They talked about it, and now they're much more supportive. If we don't, you don't have to go to graduate school right away. You don't have to go to graduate school ever. We want you to be happy. Sometimes God wants something different for us than our parents do. Sometimes good people don't know what God's will is for us. Jesus' plan and action was different than what his, his mother and Joseph thought and wanted. You, you hear this in the dissonance. Mary's response to Jesus, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been looking for you with great anxiety. So you hear just kind of this, this distance. Now we know, you know Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. And Mary didn't sin. And yet still these two people, who are, they're not sinning, but they're recognizing that, that they're having two different senses of, of maybe what the Father's will is. They want what's best for Jesus. But as he listens to the Father's will, he's actually doing what's best for him. And his response, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? That as much as you want my good, Mary and Joseph, that the father wants my good even more than you. That, that I, you're worried because I'm out of your care, that I'm always in the father's care. Isn't that true? That our children are always in the Father's care. That you and I are always in the Father's care. And so it's hard when God's plans seem to be different than our families. And it challenges us, can I let go of what other people want and trust that as I listen to the Father's will, it's what's best for everybody? Because somehow, obedience to God does not contradict loving the people around me. Does that make sense? Even though the people around me may disagree with me trying to be obedient to God, that somehow if I'm obedient to God first, that it's also going to be what's best for every person around us. 
And it's hard when it doesn't work out. I, and, and I'll just give a couple quick examples just to kind of highlight. Like there's a, a girl here at the Newman Center and she shared with me, um, she wanted to go on an alternative spring break. I want to, mom and dad, I want to spend my spring break going away and serving, helping other people. Her mother responded saying, you don't want to be with us for spring break? And her mother cried and proceeded to actually kind of give her the silent treatment for a few months. Because she was so concerned on how that was affecting her. There was another uh, mother I was talking to, and we were talking, somehow uh, vocations to the priesthood came up. And this mother replied, well, no, <laughs> I want grandkids. Can you hear the dissonance there? That, that it's, instead of seeking what God wills, that without realizing it, very often we can become so attached to what I want, what I want for my kids, what I want for my life, when really the, the deepest fulfillment and peace and happiness comes as we're faithful and obedient to God. My first parish, we had this vocations chalice and the idea was each week a different family would receive the chalice and have it on their table um, and every night during dinner they would have dinner together that week if not usually you know and they would they would say a prayer that that for more vocations from the parish but the prayer was more like this the prayer was lord we pray for vocations to the priesthood from this parish and also from our family. <laughs> and the mother was telling me afterwards that in the middle of the prayer, she stopped. She's like, what? <laughs> like, I didn't read this ahead of time. Like, what am I praying? Like, that God would call my, our own son to be a priest? And she said what happened there at the dinner table, they started talking about it. Like, mind you that their 11-year-old son is sitting right there. You know, so that the mom and dad are talking about it. Like, what? What if God called our son to be a priest? Gosh, I never thought about that before. I mean, we, we pray for vocations, but what if he calls our son? I mean, I don't, I, you know, if God called our son to be a priest, we'd feel very proud. And so this, this son heard his parents speak this freedom, this affirmation, this love, this recognition that we don't know what God's plan is for you. But if you listen to God's plan for you, that's going to make you the happiest, and that's what we want. So Jesus is already 12 years old, and he's, he, he's recognizing, he's, he's in tune with the Father's will. He's, he's walking with that. Um, and he's still obedient to his parents. It says he goes back to, they go back to Nazareth, and he's obedient to them. That I'm, not, I'm not advocating uh, a dissonance. That kids get to do whatever they want, you know, when they're 8 years old, 12 years old, or even 15 years old. Like, um, there's a great importance of obedience to the mother and the father. It's kind of like I was at my uh, brother's house this week, and what happens when you're disobedient? My nephew, 15-year-old nephew, apparently he wasn't very obedient that day. So when Uncle Matt came over, instead of watching Mission Impossible, he had to go upstairs and read his book he didn't read this semester and go to bed early. <laughs> like, there's something okay about that. There's, there's something good about that. But as our, our children become adults, there's freedom. 
And we see this freedom really clearly in the story of like the prodigal son, right? It's a powerful story, but it challenges us because like we, we love to see how the, the father welcomes the prodigal son home. That's awesome. But he couldn't have welcomed him home if he first didn't let him leave. And for many adults, a big pain is that our children or our grandchildren, they don't go to church anymore. And I can't make them. And it's like, no, that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that we can't control them. Is it ideal that they would be going to church? Yes. Is it better for them? Yes. But we see in this story a glimpse of the father's heart that says, it's better, I love you, I love your freedom, even if it takes you away from me. Because where does that lead? Well, it leads away from the father. But as the son continues to listen to his desires, it actually brings him back to the happiness he desires most, which actually comes from the father. Because if we force our kids to love us or do something, how do we know it's not us, but it's them? You know, that, that it's only in freedom that we can love. First John today, we're called to love one another. Well, love one another. What is, what is love? Love is seeking the good, seeking what's best for the other, for the sake of the other. Even if it's not good for me. This Sunday we celebrate, it's Holy Family. Why? We're talking about family here. That's what these readings and prayers are all about. What's, what's so good and hard about family, the challenge is to love our family members. Not because they're doing what we want them to do. Not because they're being, treating us nicely. But loving our family as they are. Loving our family where they are, period. Not trying to coerce them, not, not waiting for them to change, not being passive-aggressive, but respecting their freedom and trying to love them as they... Because the father loves his prodigal son even when he's making really bad choices, even when it takes them far from him. And so we struggle with that because we say, but I love this person. How... How am I supposed to just stand by and let them make really poor decisions? That's not loving. I was like, well, are we supposed to control them? Are we supposed to make the decisions for them? What do we do? Well, am I helpless? No. What does it mean to love somebody? It's to seek to know and to understand. That, that perhaps the response better is to say... Tell me about this, like the prodigal son. Okay, you want to leave? Tell me about that. Help me to understand what you want. And then we listen. Because let's, let's say they're making a dumb decision. The best way we can help them is to ask them questions where they hear themselves talking about something that doesn't make sense. Does that make, does that make sense? Like, just I just ask a lot of questions. And it's so funny. You know you're in a good place. Every now and then I'll be talking to someone and they'll say, I know this sounds, this sounds dumb to say out loud, but... And I was like, oh, oh huh, that's interesting. <laughs> and then after I've really tried to understand them and listen to them, I can say something. It's not that I can't say something. What, what I might say is something like this. I'd say, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. 
I, I love you. I love your freedom. Uh, my concern is that this choice, I don't say the word you, this choice is actually going to hurt the thing that you just expressed that you want that's important to you. And what, what I want, what I don't want for you to do is I, I, don't, I don't want to see this harm come to this good that you want for yourself. But you know what? You're a free human being, and no matter what you choose, I will never stop loving you. We're, gonna get, we're not going to get married in the church. We're going to do this. We're going to do whatever. And it's like, you know, you're free to choose what you want. Here's, would you like to hear what I think? I, I never speak until I ask. And, and I never ask until I've listened. Well, I have some thoughts. Would you like to hear what I have to say? Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> then I'm not going to, they're not listening. I'm not going to use my words. But if I've listened to them and they know that I care and I've tried to understand, that actually is the best place to say. So I don't always, but then I'll say, well, I have these thoughts. Would you like to hear that? But here's the thing. You and I, we have our thoughts. I have my feelings. I have my desires. And I actually always get to say them to God. And to people around me that I ask if I can share them. But the person that needs to hear it, I can't make them listen. That's not loving. Students hate that. Like, students, right? We, we get this. Like, when, when the lecture starts, it's like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. You know, like, and it's like we've stopped having a conversation because the lecture has begun. And when that moment hits, when you see, parents, you see that when you're like, they're not listening. I feel like they're not listening. <laughs> it's because they're not. So, um, like, that we can interrupt that. Instead, we can pause. If somebody's not listening to me, it means they want to be listened to. That I can, I can listen to them to seek to understand them. This is the, the challenge, the invitation, is to love them where they're at and to recognize that God loves them more than I do. That God, that they were given to me as a gift in my life by God. And my invitation is to give them back to God. Just like the prodigal son. That God the Father loves his son even more than he does. And what does he do? He puts him back in the Father's care. Does it, it feels like I don't care if I do that. No. It means you're rightly putting him in the Father's care. That's what Hannah does today in our first reading from 1 Samuel. That she had been asking God earlier that, you know, in the chapter. She's crying and begging God for a child. She's, she's praying so hard that the priest thinks she's drunk. You know? And now she comes back and she's saying, God answered my prayer. This child that was given to me as a gift. A child is always a gift. It's not ours. This child that was given to me, I now give him back to the Lord. I think this is the key to freedom. That every gift given, when, when we give a gift to somebody, like at Christmas, when we give a gift, it's over. Like, I gave the gift, that action's good for me. They can take it and just drop it in the trash. Now, and if that hurts us, that's actually my problem, not theirs. Because then I gave with strings attached. But I gave, and they can do whatever they want. God gives us, and we get to do whatever we want. But the greatest fulfillment comes in life when I take all that's been given to me by God, and I give it back to him. 
when I give my life back to him, when I give my will back to him, that the, that the, the Jesus, the son who comes from the father, gives everything back to the father. That's our model. Last story. There's a, a family here in town that not too long ago, they lost a child um, stillborn. Which, which really is a suffering that we don't talk very much about, so I'm actually going to talk a little bit about today. I, I had a friend, uh, actually from high school, and his, they had a stillborn, and the wife went into depression for years. They went to counseling and depression, and, and so it's, it's a loss and a pain that's deep and needs to be talked about. And, and the question we often mention is, why? Why did this have to happen? The truth is we don't know, and, and, and actually any answer is never going to seem to justify the pain that we go through in that loss, right? Why did this happen? Oh, if we had an answer, would it make it easier? No, it still stinks. It's still painful. So we don't know why, but what do we know? We know that God is the author of life. We know that God said the world is better because this child is in it than if this child never existed. We know that God always has a mission for us. That this child has a mission even if it is just for the parents and the family for a short time. But, but God always thinks bigger than we do. That that mission is bigger. That, that now if this child is drawn to God, Matthew 19, 12, let the children come to me, Jesus says. That if that child is drawn to God, that it's somehow part- he or she is participating in God's bigger mission. God's bigger mission is always bigger than anything you and I could recognize. Whether it's the loss of a child, whether it's a family member that won't talk to us anymore, whether it's a son or daughter that's doing the opposite of what we know is good for them, God's plan is always bigger and better than anything you or I could see or recognize with our finite sight. This family that I mentioned, they, they, they'd lost this child and I celebrated a little funeral for the child and... Um, and the family was telling it. The family stood up at the end and they said, uh, they told hundreds of people that had gathered. They said, this is hard. This loss is hard. We don't understand, but we trust God. That that actually become, can be our invitation. That when we have a situation with our families, with our lives that we don't like, is to say, Lord, this is hard. I get to say that. Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust that you're at work, that you, this family that you've given to me that's imperfect, as I seek to love them, it's making me perfect. This family you've given me is far from holy, but as I seek to love them as they are, it's making me holy. That God, every gift, everything, my life, my will that you've given to me, my family, every person. I give my life, my family, I give them all back to you. <clears throat>